This is Phantom Electric Ghost, and we're live with Jane Wesley. That I got your last name right. Is that how I pronounced it? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Okay, like, so this is the first time we've talked to you, and uh, I hope you're having a good day or good enjoy. And I forgot to ask you, but um, we're in uh, lovely Concord, New Hampshire. But um, we wanted to mention that we are on the Newsly platform as a feature podcast. And so we, we mentioned that if you, our, our viewers use coupon code GHOST, they can get one month free premium subscription. Newsly is a, a platform that has to take video podcasts and convert them to audio for Android and iOS devices. And so if you can stop scrolling and start listening. Uh, we're a feature podcast. This will be on Newsly within an hour. So again, thank you for being on the Family Electric Go Show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to meet with you and talk with you tonight. And that's an excellent offer for Newsly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool to get sponsors as we've been, a, you know, I've been in the podcast area for since 2016 and started getting sponsorships like maybe two years ago. But um, one of the things I was reading about your background is like you, you, you had a full-time law and you decided to become a writer and I'm a musician, um, but I still have my day job as a, like a technical person. Uh, um, and a lot of artists, we have, um, but like what we really want to do is I want to do music all the time or do podcasting all the time, but I, I do part time. So what made you go to uh, into, take the, the um, dive into leaving that full-time gig and becoming a writer? Phantom, it was a natural arc of my life for me. And, and I've had a number of transitions in my life already. I went from being a journalist to becoming a psychotherapist. And uh, I then decided to go back to school and become an attorney. And I worked at that for over 20 years, uh, worked with kids uh, who have learning challenges, kids with disabilities. And you know, I, I, it's not that I became a writer. I've always been a writer. It's something I was born with. And I think that uh, anybody has a talent. Everybody has a talent. It's something that we're born with, but it, we are, we can be called to that talent. It, it's something that lives inside of us, that creativity. And I, I have always written in some form or another and um, People would often say to me how much my thoughts or words or cards or stories had touched them. And I knew that someday I would write a book or, or books. Mm, about mm, 15 years into my law practice, I was just really itching to write a book. And I had so many times I had scribbled down some notes or thoughts about a story or written a chapter, and then I just put it aside. And I promised myself, uh, I had a big birthday, and I said, the next idea I get, I am going to write into a book. I'm going to, I don't, whether it's good or bad, I'm just going to finish it. And I, so I did that. It was a little difficult uh, while I was practicing law because there's something called a trial <laughs> that we get involved with in litigation practice. Uh, most case, most cases, <laughs> it takes a lot, a lot of, of preparation and then you're in court all day and then you've got to prepare after court. So 
it was hard to stay uh, creative because, you know, your dog tired and your brain gets hammered. And uh, so I actually wrote a novel. And uh, I don't know if you're a fan of Stephen King or not, but he wrote a book called On Writing. And the yeah, first yeah. half of it. Oh, so, that. yeah. So what a great book. And it was so inspiring to me. <laughs> Uh, so I was following his direction of, you know, he, he writes a book and then he gives it to six of his trusted readers. So I did that too. Uh, I had my book bound at Staples mm. and just, um, gave it to people I, I knew and loved and trusted. And then I started writing the second book and that the first one took a long time because of all the delays and whatnot because of the demand what was the, the title of that first book oh you're it's so funny that you should ask so the title of that first book phantom was riders on the storm sound familiar as a musician oh. <laughs> you know the Jim you know Morrison. the work of the doors yeah, Jim Morrison, the doors absolutely and it yeah. was perfect it was perfect it, it was about a oh, hundred year <laughs> storm, uh, you know, a storm of unprecedented, unprecedented magnitude uh, and, and how it changes people's lives and how it calls us to give more than maybe we thought we had. And um, so that was the name. Now, I didn't keep that name. I actually published that book uh, um, a year or two ago, uh, and I had to change the name. I, I didn't even ask if I could use the name because... I finally finished my okay, second you figured novel. figured they would come after you. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't have published it without permission. Uh, and so I, I so while yeah, I was yeah. practicing again, I, I started writing that second book. And ultimately, I was just not able to finish it. I had to put it aside. So, and, and here's the transition part out of full-time legal practice. My husband and I had been planning for years about the next stage of our lives. Our kids were grown, they were having children, and he had retired uh, from his position uh, after 44 years, which was a long time. Uh, and a, a number of people in my family had had died young. And so we, we really talked it out and, and decided life's too short and it was time to make the move. We felt financially we we had been preparing for many years and we were able to do it. So we did. Uh, and I went to part-time status at my law firm and it was time to write the book. Uh, so so I, I actually wrote a couple of nonfiction books first to, to kind of get them out of my system uh, about my, my legal practice and, and uh, representing kids with disabilities and a number of things. Um, and so then I published the Riders on the Storm, which, no, no, actually, I published the second book first, uh, which I <laughs> I had called Locomotive mm -hmm. Breath. You know that title too, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> Locomotive that's another, Breath. That's another song. Yes, another song. <laughs> you know, I, I never thought I would be good at titling my books, but it just hit me one day out of the blue. You know that song. It's it's so evocative of a of a railroad, a, a, yeah. a locomotive engine, and I thought it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, the, the book is about a, a troubled teen uh, who's suffering from depression and anxiety, and he 
he's seeing other kids commit suicide, kill themselves. We don't say commit suicide anymore because it sounds like a sin or a crime or something. Mm. So I wanted to title it Locomotive Breath, and I sought permission mm. from Ian Scott Anderson. I found out the company that represented him, and he denied my request to use yeah. some of the lyrics on the flyleaf. And, and they also said to me, wow. and you, you can't call your book Locomotive Breath. And I thought, you can't copyright a title, but you can trademark it. And I looked it up and he had trademarked it. So I, I renamed mm. that book Railroaded. <laughs> oh, he trademarked it. Yeah. Yes. And what Jethro Tull was so big with that, that was one of their, like, besides Aqualon. That's like Aqu a big. Hey, Aqualon. Hey, I'm a yeah, big, right. uh, I'm a child of the 70s. So. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, I mean, me too. A lot of their work. I was always into his flute. Oh, playing. yeah. Yeah. Rock. But yeah. that's interesting that you have this uh have this from what you've said, you have two two titles that came from music. And I'm I'm a big uh I get, I'm all pushing music as like uh, like to me like life coaches like the Beatles were like the ultimate life coaches for almost every modern musician. Like they were in, they inspired a whole generation. So I find it really interesting when people pull things from into their into their work. I think it's kind of cool to cross pollinate things from like, you know, with paintings or poetry or music crossing into other zones is kind of like what mm -hmm. I do as a producer, but I think other areas of creativity, aside, I think. That, so is that, is that something you like to do that you like to try to, I know some writers like to bring like song imagery into their work. Is that something that you actually do beyond the title? You know, I, I, I don't consciously do it, but it does seem to happen. Uh, and so, you know, mm -hmm. we're thinking about creativity and what inspires us. And I think that everybody has some kind of creative spark. Uh, and it, you can almost always be creative uh, unless, you know, you're in need of sleep or, or you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired which those are human needs that we have to take care of, right? But uh, creativity is there and you have to make yourself available to it. And one way that you can do that is through music. Music is like an arrow that you just, you shoot into your heart and it, it just, it penetrates so immediately, so deeply. My husband was playing me a song the other day. He, he had been listening to listening to some a piano piece. And, and I, I couldn't hear it very well. And I said, what is that? And mm -hmm. he started to play it for me. And I, I, I literally got goosebumps and, and tears came into my eyes. That is the power of music. And, and I've used it in my uh, therapy for sure. Yeah, uh, recalls like a wife. Sorry, there, you go ahead, please. There was a little delay. Well, music can can recall, yeah, yeah, yeah. It recalls like um, cinematic or sound painting type of ideas, right? So people, when they recall a song, they recall scenes. It recalls like moments that people associate these songs with, like parts of their life, like the soundtrack to their lives. So Absolutely. people like they had a song when they were falling in love. They have a song when somebody morning somebody. They have songs when they're happy. And so when 
when they when they comes on because it's that powerful. That's how you know. I, I always felt. I wanted to say one more thing about that. What Pete Townsend talked about, like you know, he was at Woodstock with the Who, and he was had was working on this rock opera. He never got to finish, but it became a Who's Next. Was like there's a universal note that when you write a song and you connect with a, a, a large audience like that Woodstock audience, that you hit this universal key that somehow like people, it communicates that the song, uh, like uh, the waveforms and the, the, the just the actual idea of the music uh, just like hits people. And I think that's like the creative kind of power that music has because just hitting those frequencies can trigger people to have certain emotions. That's really interesting. I'd love to see a study done on the on the human brain brain waves while people are listening to those exact notes. I bet someone has done a study on that. That is really fascinating and I bet you that music ha- music has the power to heal. I really do believe that. Uh it's something that I've written about in in one of my books and I, I bet there's proof of it out there. So uh, now you have me curious, uh, but I bet too, as the audience is listening to this and Phantom, you're talking about m- moments that uh, music helps us to recall. It, j- it just brings you right back there. And you made me think of uh, the piece by Israel Kamakawiwo Ole. Am I getting his name right? You know that the Hawaiian guy mm-hmm. who he he did mm-hmm. the I haven't thought of this in mm-hmm. so long. He did that remake of um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and the story of that is fascinating. Um, you probably oh. know it. He wanted to record that song, and his agent was a friend of the recording guy, and they called him at some early hour in the morning, at like one o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, and they said can we come over and record this right now? And he let them come over and they recorded it, I think in one take. That song always brings tears to my eyes because it reminds me of my cousin, Sam, who was a, a big teddy bear of a guy just like Izzy. And he, he died young suddenly because he was overworking himself to provide for his family. And mm-hmm. he was just working this crazy shift and driving hours to go to work, to, to make a, a lot of money for the family and provide for his wife and daughter. And, and along the way, he became ill and, and died suddenly. And I, I will never forget the moment where my mom called to tell me that. And that song always brings me right back to to that moment and it's a bit of a sad story but it but it's poignant and and, and again it it just illustrates the mm-hmm. power of music yeah it's always been a big thing for me because um as a songwriter and a producer like i i try to catch uh what i call i do a lot of stream of consciousness uh, written music like I'm into like free jazz and fusion and a lot of what I'll do is like I'll have maybe I'll have something in my head you know I have something in my subconscious and I just put my multi-tracks on and I just play I like to capture it because I was reading documentaries about old school 
recording and like Elton John said, you know, on the yellow brick road, everything's like second, third take because they would just take the whole band and just record whatever they were doing very much into that style of recording because I think you capture the honesty as a musician. You don't overthink things that you just, that's, let, as a musician, we we're kind of like, we can channel things. That's really that's cool. That's what we try to channel. If you don't overthink it, you don't overcomplicate it. <laughs> and and that way too i think you're i'm wondering is that with writing do you yes yes i was actually thinking that's one of the things that you sparked me to think is uh so there's an exercise that writers sometimes do writers sometimes get writer's block or if they just want to generate ideas uh, they'll sit down and do a brainstorming. Uh, and, and this is where, and I guess you could do it on a keyboard, but it's also good to do with a pen and paper. And you just start writing. You don't stop at all. Mm -hmm. You just think, and you, you write for five minutes. And even if at some point you don't know what to write, you say, I don't know what to write, but you keep writing. And that kind of clears out the sludge uh, and it helps you to open up that stream of creativity. And mm -hmm. there, there was a time where I was really trying to get that first book done, which the first book was Locomotive Breath. And I was working so much, but I decided, listen, I, I've got to get this done. I, I'm alive now. I want to finish this. I, this is part of my life's work here. And so I, I got to the point where at five or five thirty in the afternoon, I would I would put my legal work away. I would stay at my desk, and I would start working on my manuscript. And there were times where the creativity just flowed like a stream, like a river. And and I would actually almost have this out of body experience, as if I were watching myself typing, and the story was just coming out like a river. And that's kind of what you were describing. The mm -hmm. thing I, I I think that's really neat about that is that yeah, when you're being you're you're being this your honest, open, authentic self is when you really connect with people because we all need to touch authenticity, uh, especially in the world today. The way things are, people crave that. I think. Yeah, because there's a lot of people like like I'm kind of old school, and I like the idea of like you know poets just going to a jam session and just going, and just like they didn't they didn't even they kind of not even going off their page, they just see what they can do. And I love I love artists you know like painters that would do that. I've very much been into that kind of mindset because I feel that you think some you just you just trust yourself. Like if you're an artist, you know that you're an artist, right? You know you know how to play. Or you know how to paint or you know how to do if you trust yourself and you kind of just feel you you have to like you feel the room you feel what what's inside you you you, you uh, recognize what's going on around you and all these inputs you just let you don't if you, if you just happen with your art, artistic sensibility you just go at it and i heard like dylan used to just take his typewriter and with the band, he just the band will be playing all this music, and then he would just go to, on the typewriter and just type all this stuff kind of out freeform. And a lot wow, of that basement I... tape stuff with the band is like, it's really, 
brilliant, you know, because of what, the way he did it like that. And the amazing thing about him is he didn't even understand that. He, he didn't know how brilliant that he was. He, he didn't seem to understand how or why he touched people that way, which is pretty interesting. Um, but, but I think you're talking about the sweet spot. Uh, the first time I ever heard that phrase was when I, I went skiing uh, and I, I took lessons and the instructor talked to us about this, the sweet spot, uh, which when you ski is at the front of your boot and you, you use that to steer yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit counterintuitive in that realm because you're flying down the face of mm -hmm. a snowy mountain and you wouldn't think that you're going to use your shins to steer. But when you get it and you feel it and you do it, yeah. it works. And that is what you're talking about with all channels open to just let that creativity flow. It's, it's really cool. And, you know, it, it translates actually probably to so many things, but you made me think of the practice of law. So when I was in law school, I went to Seton Hall Law, which is in Newark, New Jersey. And as a third year student, uh, you, you have the opportunity, if you work in a, a clinic at the school to go to court under the supervision of a real attorney uh, under New Jersey Rule 121.3AD or something like that. Uh, and I had joined a clinic because I wanted to have that firsthand experience of actually representing people. And so the first week of law school, probably the second or third day of my third year, I went to court. And I had already had a career as a psychotherapist. So I was a little bit older than the average law student at that age, who was probably around 24. I go to court uh, on behalf of this little boy whose father was in jail, never wanted anything to do with him before. Uh, but now that the father was in jail, he wanted to make the mother bring the kid to come see him. And it was a little boy. I'm talking three years old, maybe. And the mother didn't want the kid to be exposed to this and especially to be used by the father. And so I was appointed to represent the child. And so I had to go into court and argue against uh, the, the father uh, was trying to force this child to have a psychological evaluation. And uh, I went in and I had all my notes. It was my first time. I was in, in a real courtroom in front of a judge. So I was ready. And I got up and I, I had memorized the opening uh, lines because, you know, if you're a public speaker, you know that that's one trick uh, to do is that you memorize the first part and then you just go. Mm -hmm. It becomes natural because you're ready, really. So I did that oh, and I was arguing. And then at some point I, I became very incensed because the other side was arguing against uh, the position. And I threw my papers down and I then really just stepped into the role. And the judge later called up my mm -hmm. professor and said, you know, I had a, a deputy attorney general in here later in the day. And he said, your student, if I didn't know 
the difference. I would have thought your student was the deputy attorney general and, and that she was the student because I had done such a good job at doing it. And that's because mm -hmm. it was that thing that happened, that it was that sweet spot, that moment when everything started to come yeah, together. And so even yeah, in a profession. In the role. I mean, yeah, you feel you the get, room, you get, like, like you said. You know, I'm, I'm in it. Yeah, you got to feel it. Like, 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 it's like when I talk to musicians, right? And if I meet musicians and we're kind of like in, in, in tune, is if I get one to jazz musicians, I don't have to tell them what key I'm in. I don't have to tell them what the chord changes are. If I start playing, the drummer knows exactly what to do, and I don't have to play with this. If I start doing order on a piano or, or on a Rhodes or something, they just know what to do. But when I run into people where it doesn't sync, they stop and they start and they're like, what key are we in? What the chord charts are? And then that's not so enjoyable. <laughs> that they, you're not speaking you the same language. You can't deal with it, but you're like comfortable. Everybody kind of, yeah, if, 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 if everybody's more in tune, then that's when you get like a band. Like yes. Every they're a band is because they have that connection that they know and what to do. And you're, you, know. you're, you are talking to each other. You're just not speaking in the words. You're talking to each other with your music and your instruments. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's what musicians love it when if they can actually speak with their instrument and the other musicians and verbalize it. You know, and that, that, that usually is, is worth so much. It's hard to, when I've interviewed musicians, it's something they all acknowledge that they love that when that those moments happen, you know, and during COVID it was hard to get those moments when you're working remote with people, you just ended it and you have to do it after the fact. When, if you were all together, then you can kind of do it together. And some musicians were very much tied to being physically together to write their work and, and not so much like, like I do a lot of stuff by myself. So I, I can't, you get that you typically need to all be there to write. And so that that's the kind of like, it's cool when you, you know, and I've had the opposite where I've just done everything myself. So it's just like a total, like a uh, control freak situation, which I feel like you're building that universe and you're doing everything, right? Like if you're a, a producer, like a Prince type of producer, you did everything. So you're building that whole world by yourself with no other musicians and uh, it's a different task and when you it's so if that's so right it's a different task and it's good that you can do both uh, I, and I think that being in the same room with the other musicians would have, it it would be really enjoyable uh, and and you feel the energy in the room and you just let it almost play on your own, self because i think we're we're all instruments in in a way people talk about playing on your heartstrings um those those are your emotions and so we bring mm -hmm. that when we're musicians we we bring that into play and if you're and and there is energy i, I mean there's a lot of studies done about how when we're in physical proximity to people uh how our bodies react to other bodies with pheromones and chemicals and things like that. And so I got to think that 
with with music and that energy, there's something that's happening there that's really cool. But I do have to applaud so many it, musicians. There's like a chemistry. It's like it's like yes, <laughs> yeah, it's chemistry. It's exactly what it is. Um, but weren't you impressed? And I think you did it too with all the musicians who during COVID were making uh, Zoom and other kinds of, uh, 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 you know, recordings of themselves or yeah. getting on Zoom. I was one uh, of those. <laughs> oh, that was so neat. And it was so uplifting to have, um, you know, musician, you go online and or somebody would send it to you and it just made you feel so much better uh, about what was happening. So thanks for doing that. <laughs> Yeah, we did a lot. Of, we did a lot. Of, we did like like we had a bunch of festivals where I had in, independent emerging artists do like three day festivals where we play from our bedroom studios as bedroom producers and did kind of unplugged moments where people could feel like real true kind of heart to actually feel it. Where people are so into perfect music today, where they try to make everything sound you know, and I think they, they missed the boat where like a lot of the old school stuff, like the Jethro Tull stuff and the other, 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 you know, bands like Led Zeppelin and all the old 70s Led bands. Zeppelin, I was, was something about the magic. <laughs> <laughs> There's just the magic of playing the, like that chemistry of John Bonham and, you know, playing with, with uh, John Paul Jones and, 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 and Jimmy Page. And there's this connection with those guys are so good that when they would come together, it just, it was just this chemistry that it's, it's unwritten language. I've heard like rehearsal tapes of them playing. And I'm like very excited about what they, they found things. And I always think that's so interesting, the discovery of like finding the groove that made the song. Yes. And when they actually find it, they get, it's just really cool to actually get behind that music and understand that structure. And I've always liked to understand like the behind, like when you're writing and I've heard a lot of writers, they have this problem with it. Like they got to complete it. Right. And some writers, they never get to ideas. They have to drop them because they can't finish it. And that's like the core of like being a successful writer is to actually be able to finish that, finish that novel and get, get it done so they could, you know, don't go and get kind of held hostage to their ideas and never finish it. Well, that's kind of sad uh, for someone who's probably quite talented, who who writes most of a book and then can't finish it. And some people uh, become blocked by something called imposter syndrome, where the, and it's a real syndrome. You can hear, you know, tapes, recordings, uh, YouTube videos. There are books about it where you just become the the artist, the writer the musician, the, the person just doesn't believe in themselves, feels like they are actually being an imposter, pretending to be good at what they're doing, and then they get blocked up and they just don't finish it. Or maybe with a writer, these days, self-publishing is the way to go because it's really uh, difficult to get a publishing contract with a, a traditional house uh, a publisher. And mm -hmm. yeah. the publishing itself is quite daunting. 
to actually take your book from a manuscript and, and make it into a published work and then market it. And so I think a lot of people get hampered by that as well. Uh, you know, they get blocked by that. Uh, you, you talked about Led Zeppelin and, and you literally took the words out of my mouth. Uh, cause I was thinking about them and, and what about just to, to fully flesh out that idea, uh, Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon and, oh, and that Floyd, album. Oh, I, I was watching a I was watching a documentary and uh, Pink Floyd mentioned in the documentary that they were all on the same page when they wrote that album. But what's really interesting when I watched the documentary is later they had personnel conflicts and they had issues. But when they were, they all finally realized that they want, got out of what they called psychedelic noodling and started writing structures that were kind of like like Tommy and her like they're right it's like a rock opera but they they had been writing these very long Sid Barrett songs that were really kind of out of control and they 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 you know it's cool but like I think they they called them like psychedelic noodling they weren't really song structures they're like fusion album actually had ideas they came into like little vignettes that were songs but they, they were all connected and the boards in in the recording room, they were all jumping on synthesizers. They're all you know giving each other comments. They were all working together as a team to make the songs the best they could be. And they, they had a picture of them all with their hands on the soundboard, actually turning the knobs to get the feel. They're all doing it together. Not one guy. I'd love to see that, that, that documentary. Was fantastic. Maybe. Maybe you could, you know, tell us what it was, or uh, yeah, I think I and probably everybody else in the audience would like to to watch that. It is cool to see that creative process when it's not sometimes like it's like one or two people, but they have the whole band working together as for when I'm in a band is to get everybody's uh, contribution. You know, and, and, and like, like if I came in there with a drum and I have a real drummer, like I'm not going to stick with my drum beat off of my drum machine. I'm going to let him write the drum part and I'm going to give him the writing credit for that and not say that I wrote it. He wrote it. And the bass player, take my bass idea and make it better. Keyboard players, I'm going to play board. But yeah, I could write the, like all the parts. You know, that, but the so idea is like even the parts, like you as a demo, you let people come in and, and just do what they do to make it better. Yes. And, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's almost like a, uh, an organism with different systems. It, it, so that idea translates into other areas, uh, like so many other ideas and other creativity. Uh, it reminds me of the human body. Uh, the human body talks to itself um, the brain issues chemicals, sends out chemicals and hormones and all kinds of things to activate things in the body. If you get injured, it sends T cells and other things to that area to heal it. And if your blood sugar goes up or down, it, uh, it releases some glycogen to take care of that. And uh, just 
so many things, you know, your cortisol levels higher in the morning to get you up and to get you moving. And then it, it slows down later. It, it lessens later in the day and uh, other things happen to bring you to a point where you can then get your rest. And it's all these systems in your body talking to one another, but in a different form of communication. And so that that's creativity too. Just interesting. Well, you also mentioned like you like to send your send your work for feedback. You know, can musicians we can get feedback by you know send it to the band, send it to the recording engineer, send it to the producer. So when you're a writer, you trust your people. They like I guess they call them sometimes like writing groups or like you have this person you know you have like people that you trust. Idea yes. is this working? Is it not working? So. When did you find that, like early in your career, or did you learn it? I didn't find it early. I didn't. Uh, I, I tried. I looked for writing groups. I had a friend, uh, one of my good friends, uh, came years ago, 30 years ago now, from Moscow to move here. And she's a great writer. And, and we would try to get together and talk about our writing. But but it was always such a struggle uh, because we were raising a family, each of us, and working full time. And uh, so it, it was just difficult that I looked online for a good group. And uh, I lived in the suburbs of New Jersey, and there wasn't all that much going on. I thought about driving into New York City, uh, which is where I went to graduate school, because, oh, mm. New York City, there's always something going on there. And there were good groups there. But it was kind of a slog, you know, there and back. And with everything else I was doing, it just, it wasn't feasible to do. And lo and behold, uh, you know, they say something, uh, uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And uh, I don't know if that's exactly right on point here, but when I was yeah, ready, like yeah, when I was ready to, to do the writing, I got an email from a person who had done a lot of uh, continuing education credits that I had taken. I had to do 40 continuing ed credits every, uh, every two years for my uh, psychotherapy license. And he was starting a, a book class to help people get their books written and published. And I really needed help with the publishing part. And it seemed a little daunting at first, but I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, and I joined and I never looked back. And this has become my writing group. Uh, we meet once a week and uh, online on Zoom because there's people from all over the world, which is so interesting. And we do breakout groups uh, where we uh, sometimes we, we read each other our work and we get feedback and uh, and and you can get an accountability partner. You can ask somebody to mm -hmm. pair up with you and, and share your work and have them give you feedback. So that's invaluable, I think. And for any artist and any person uh, who's, who's creative and, and doing some kind of endeavor, it's really good to get feedback because I think we all need constructive criticism, people to be honest with us about what we're doing oh, yeah. and people who are wiser, maybe more experienced than we are to give us that feedback, but also to give us 
positive feedback because maybe we don't always expect that. And then to hear something that boosts your morale, boosts your confidence um, is just terrific and, and can give you that inspiration that you need. You know, that word inspiration phantom is, I think it's Latin uh, and it's in spiro. Uh, that's what it comes. Those are the roots. And that means the spirit within you. And so that inspiration is, is yeah. your spirit inside. It's that, that sweet spot that all the channels are, are running and you're communicating with when you're a musician and you're working with other people or you're a sculptor and you're in a class and you're, uh, you know, working with people or you're a painter and you have a model, there's all kinds of synergy going on. And, and that's really like, neat. Yeah. Like, like I've always used like external inputs that you get as an artist, but then it's like, it's a kind of inspirational thing. Like, like it's all your, a lot of dreams. It's like, it's like a lot of times as an artist, like, like my, the, all my stuff here is in my bedroom. These are all my, and I have them in my bedroom. There's like a lot of times things come to you as, as dreams. And yes, if you have the, yes. the tools to actually create art, I can just give up and then jump on one of my boards and actually take something I, that just came to me mm -hmm. and do it right away. I don't have to wait. I don't have to go and drive to the studio and just do it. And a lot of us are, are doing or setting things up like that. I know people take like, you know, do voice memo and have like notebooks. Do you have that as a writer? Or do you like to use voice memory type thing or pads and just write things down and go back and look at it? Good question. Uh, I know people who use OneNote or voice memos, uh, so it's it's verbal. And I have done that, and, and I still have recordings that I've made. Perhaps I was driving home from work, you know, in the evening, and my mind was going. And so I didn't want to lose that. So I would record it. But for the most part, the way I do it is I get a pad and pen and I jot it down. And I, I do sometimes keep a notebook next to my bed on my night table because there are times where I wake up and I, my brain writes without me doing anything. I, I might be having a dream and I'm writing a story. I am telling a story and I wake up in the middle of telling the story and I've got to grab a pen and paper and write, write it down before I lose it because it will yeah. go like smoke in the wind if you don't capture it at that time. Uh, so yes, I do do that. Uh, yeah, that's I why. I heard a story recently about. That's definitely just, why I've got one of my big. <laughs> sorry, it, it's uh, yeah. what you were just saying is uh, right. one of some famous musician. I don't remember who it is right now off the top of my head, but uh, it might have been Stairway to Heaven. That who who mm -hmm. whoever that artist was had a dream and and woke up and actually mm -hmm. played the song and oh, wrote it down. Robert Plant maybe. Yeah, Did, I don't Jimmy. remember. That's who why it I think was. Jimmy Page came up with some of those chords. I think, yeah, it was either Jimmy, like the the big part, that like the guitar part, so mm -hmm. the primary guitar player, we had Jimmy Page, 
but uh plant had these like ideas for the like the the, the lyrics are so kind of poetic but um and it's like multiple shift it's like a shifting progressive song it goes from like you know one one type of um structure to another it starts off slow and yes. it's, which is it's typical of progressive rock like like it's more classical structures where they have like movements and changes which are complicated and some music today doesn't have that kind of stays into beat focused where the old music would have traditional song structures like intros they'll have like uh you know the melody like a second uh, a variation on the melody like uh changes they have different structures where a lot of people today it's like oh we'll just get a a beat focused kind of dance focused changes and you know or interesting in the 70s you get bands like the carpenters and the beatles there's a lot there's lots of key changes and there's all kinds of structural changes that make it more interesting like you have like shadowing of like things that are going to happen like little snippets it's like more interesting and instead of going this straight sequential order that you kind of play with your timeline you move things around musicians kind of like to play with our timelines too <laughs> that's really interesting to to hear you talk about it in that way i think you and i were lucky because we grew up with all that classic rock being created at that time and and that was the, the mu our music mm -hmm. uh even today so i have grown kids and my son is he's not a professional musician he doesn't that's not what he does for a living but he has been playing the guitar for mm, 32 years i think and and mm -hmm. he's played in, in a he played the stone pony uh in asbury park <laughs> you know where bruce springsteen rose to to fame uh and awesome. and has played a number of places very fun very fun um and uh i i think that you know he really loves all that music still and and our other son who's who's not a musician but he said to me one day we were actually in in the gym working out and he said to me who's your favorite rock band because of course we were listening to music and i i was like oh how do you have a favorite rock band so i thought about it and thought about it and i gave him an answer i don't even know if i who i said whether it was led zeppelin or something and he looked at me with a face and he said my my favorite is the beatles and i i'm like the beatles are a class of their own well, they're like the classic of everybody's like well they're they're, they're like the beginning of of the age of the album and it's so important that you, you don't have a pink floyd without the beatles because the music prior to that was not album focused you know one of the things wow. about, about it like if you go into the 50s and the 40s focused and then people would take songs and put them into collections and sometimes they would become albums but they really weren't well thought out structurally until you get like the beatles actually start creating uh using it as a form to tell stories like you know sergeant pepper isn't exactly a story but it's like if they it all makes sense and then the idea is that you don't just listen to that one song at a time people tend to listen to sergeant peppers all the way through so it's a uh, the idea then that opened it up for bands like pink floyd to say yeah we can do like wish we were here we can do 
we do these big kind of concepts in the who with Tommy, the idea that you can tell a story with not just one right. song, but multiple songs right. strung together. There's so many good examples really of that. caused a lot of bands in the 70s. Like, that's what they did. Age of, age of the album. You know, you, you see from the late 60s into the 70s, like that kind of effort. But I, I never knew that before. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. Never even crossed my mind. But you're right. I remember being a little kid and having the, the little tiny little records that I would keep in a little box. Uh, and it wasn't until, uh, as yeah, you're saying, you know, yeah. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so funny. Uh, yeah. I, I never really thought about that before. Um, we've kind of gone backwards to like the fifties time now. I mean, we're back into a kind of singles focused world, which is like the 1950s. Uh, um, and terms are not the primary thing anymore. <clears throat> People would listen to individual songs more. But I'm, I'm always hopeful that, you know, there are artists that are so powerful that they get people to listen to a whole thought. Like a Taylor Swift will get people to listen to the whole thing. Like a Peter Gabriel, he'll usually get people to listen to his whole uh, that, that Those level artists will come in and, and people will say, oh, yeah, I do. I'm going to listen to Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar's whole because it's a full vision. It's kind of like, you know, I always felt like like musicians can be like authors. They are short stories that tell stories are connected. And a lot of times I, you know, I, I used to read a lot of, you know, Stephen King. And I used to read um, like epic poetry, like the Odyssey and the Iliad and, and Shakespeare, because it, it, it would tell a story. And it's kind of cool if you structure your records in, in terms of like, oh, I want to make it or I want to make it like, William Blake's songs of innocence and experience. I want to try it together. I want to take an idea and tie it together. It's fascinating to think of it that way. Uh, uh, some albums are a collection of short stories. Um, they, they, you know, they're similar and then others t tell their chapters instead. And they, and they tell the whole, you have to listen to the whole album um, mm -hmm. yeah. to, to hear the story. For instance, can you imagine cutting up Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and only listening to one of the songs? How can you listen? H have you ever been listening years ago to the radio and somebody plays <laughs> Time and they don't play Home again? You know, ticking away the hours that make up a dull day. And yeah, then you, it's kind and of you ridiculous. The end, and you, you have to hear Home again. And then they cut it off. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You need to hear it. Yeah, it doesn't work. But yeah, I mean, that whole idea of being able to do that, you know, even when you listen to like Tapestry, famous 70s album, it's not a concept album, but every song kind of flows where it still feels like it's a complete thought. And so that was the cool thing, even though, you know, like Yellow Brick Road from like Elton John, it's not a concept album. But the songs all work together. It feels a complete art. Even though it's got different variations, it's not like a Pink Floyd album. It's not Tommy. Still a complete, it's just different variations that it seems to feel 
and I, I've always been like very interested in the, in the albums that are connected like that, not as tightly connected, but still feel like a full picture. I am impressed kind of with, with <laughs> I'm impressed with the amount of knowledge you have and how you talk about all kinds of different uh, songs and collections of songs and albums and, you know, as examples of all these things and your literary awareness too and, and the parallels that you draw between the literature and and the music and i think that is instructive for all of us i, I think it gives us all something to think about uh phantom i have a question for you so uh i'm i'm an older person mm -hmm. uh when i was uh, an elementary school student i learned to play the trumpet and I also then my music instructor started having me play the French horn and wanted me to start playing the piano. And then I had to get braces. And uh, I, uh, I, because of whatever was being done, I had to stop playing the piano or the trumpet for a while. And I never took it back up full time. I certainly mm -hmm. have played it, got back uh, but it. I really would like to either uh, take up piano or the violin so can you teach an old dog new tricks as far as learning a uh, um you know a musical instrument what do you think another instrument yeah well i started on a woodwind you know i, I started on a clarinet and then i realized I, it's not the best writing instrument and so i went to the keyboard well i went to a guitar and i couldn't get it I wanted it. I wanted to get it. But my brother, he immediately got on the guitar, my younger brother, and he could just do it. I'm like, wow. And I'm having, I was struggling because I figured I when I knew how to read music. And I said, well, I'll, I'll be able to get out. And I, I just didn't have the feel for the guitar, but I had the feel for a keyboard besides there's an electrons and pianos. And then somehow I felt more natural on that. So I think a lot of times like, there's a lot of people who can play multiple instruments, you know, uh, my brother can play bass, he can play guitar. Play but all drum. strings, all string instruments. You can instruments. kind of how much, how much you want to be dead. I'm sorry, yeah, how string much? string instruments are easy to kind of cross over. You know, you can go from, yeah, they're easier to cross. If you know one, you can get to the next one. But you said something before that about, uh, you know, how do you know what instrument is right for you or do you just try them? I tried the drums and I wasn't good at it. I tried guitar, I wasn't good at it. I, got, I jumped on the keyboard and then I felt natural on it. And I just wow, it's like I can actually do that. And uh, and then I just I just went whole hug into it. And I still like my woodwind that I can actually do woodwind type stuff with the reed because there's some things like you learn on a woodwind that are so interesting that like on flutes and saxes and and uh, clarinets, that those those instruments are really once you learn how to trill and you learn how to use your your reed and and, and the you know, the breath control being that type of instrument is very unique because you can have to physically have a limitation as a human, but you can breathe right so you have to have that instrument. um the the breath control what you physically can do as a human with holding your breath when you play a wind instrument. If you're on a string instrument, you don't have to do that. 
you know, it has nothing to do with the breath control. Uh, it's your sense. dexterity, but you keep on going on and on and on on the keyboard too. Yeah, so you have, if you're ever on a synthesizer and you're trying to play a flute, you have to remember that if you play a flute, there has to be a physical flute player is going to have breaths being taken. And if you just endlessly play, you're never going to match what a real flute sounds like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, thanks. And uh, if anybody in the audience is, is out there wondering whether they should take up uh, an instrument, I would say yes, because there are times that our heart needs to speak in a way that maybe our, our mouths cannot do. And uh, if you're, I've, I've been envying musicians for a long time who can just sit down and let their heart spill out uh, onto a keyboard or, you know, out through their violin or whatever, whatever that instrument is, that, that's an enviable uh practice and an enviable talent to have. So if anybody's listening, go for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of a part of this is that um I can replicate. I can actually go and like try to play like a like a like an or I can go try to play like a violin and my synthesizer can do behavioral modeling. Which means a, like a, a wind instrument, it will have like breath articulation through certain controls with foot pedal where I can replicate the behavior. Kind of like being a big, in an orchestra, you can go, you can play all the different instruments, but you have to learn the style with those instruments. So, so that you, you, it, it seems like, so it, it really cool way to find out what you'd be into. If you get into a synth and you're like, okay, I'm going to learn how to play bass, <clears throat> bass, but you, you have to think about what would a bass player really do versus what a keyboard physically does. And you have to learn different techniques to kind of mirror what you could do physically on a bass. And then you could say, well, yeah, that means I really, I really, or I really dig the way by lenser. I'm going to actually go learn that. And it kind of gives you a choice to like hear different things and then try different techniques and then you can decide I want to move on to the real instrument to get that feel. And so this is a way to discover what your talents are, um, which is part of the purpose of our life, right? We were talking about uh, purposeful living and, and finding your purpose, living a purposeful life. And one of the things that I tell people who ask me about how to find what your purpose is is to ask yourself, well, what what are you good at? What talent do you have? Uh, if you don't know, what do people tell you you're good at? Uh, and and then when you identify that, how can you use that to improve your life, your family's life, the life of your community, and the life of the world? And we're, we've been talking about creativity as far as music yeah. and literature. Um, and, and any kind of artistry, but there's all kinds of creativity. Uh, I use a fitness app, the Kira Stokes fitness app. And uh, it's just interesting to see this kind of thread move into other areas, that that idea of telling a story. And, and she has mm-hmm. a library of videos, workout videos. And she talks about how uh, every movement is a chapter in, in the story of a workout. And 
uh, and she. Uh, she um, it's kind of like a fitness to be like a dance. <laughs> Dancing it, tells a story a too. Dance, and it tells a story, <laughs> yeah. and and you and it stacks one thing on top of another for your physical self, and so that tells a story. And so, if you're looking for your purpose, which is a good idea, because living a meaningful life and a fulfilling life uh, it will happen if you know what your purpose is and if you're living your purpose. Um, there's something called the Blue Zones Project. I'm a real fan of it. It uh, has isolated nine different ways in which people uh, generally live to over a hundred. There are seven pockets in the world where people naturally live that long. And it's because of the way they live. And uh, National Geographic first highlighted them, found mm. them, interviewed them and photographed them back in the 1980s, I think. And the photographer for that project made it his life's work, which is just fascinating. And so you, you can just look up the Blue Zones project. And one of the nine tenets of the uh, of, of living that long and, and it is knowing your project, your purpose, and um, uh, and that actually helps you live longer and a happier life. So just a neat idea. Well, I find it like like to do is like it, it, we you know we a lot of times you have your you have your career you have your professional career and you know sometimes that's satisfying for people that that's what they do that's who they are but like art to me is my art whether i make money on it or not i'm a musician not because i want to make money i i'm a musician because i love music <laughs> and so i love i love everything about it and i do it and it happens to make me money because I think if you love what you're doing, things just happen. Things just like fall into place. It's not that I'm trying to, to make money with it. I'm, I'm just being satisfied with the feeling it gives me. And I think a lot of artists will say that, you know, they, they're like the starving artist kind of idea. Well, I'm just going to do it because I love art. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, you have to find ways to monetize the way the world is, but maybe you don't. Cause a lot of artists like William Blake was never famous in his time. The Velvet Underground weren't famous in their time. You know, there's a lot of artists that are very significant, but they didn't make, just because they weren't charting, that doesn't mean they weren't significant to the camp. A lot of examples that cross, like William Blake and poetry, you know, Lou Reed initially wasn't really well understood and then became very well understood. So I think people shouldn't be afraid or, or judge themselves because they're not hitting the top 10 on anything. Like everybody mm -hmm. has these ways to measure people. It doesn't that isn't valuable. Just because you're not hitting the top 10 doesn't mean what you're doing is not valuable. Or, or That's not, not the only way, not the only way to measure success. And you are so right. You are so right. I hope people take that to heart. It's a great message. <laughs> As I always try to tell people, like when I'm working with them, it's like, you know, just because this song maybe doesn't hit the way you want to, don't give up, don't stop. And I've run into people who have stopped because they didn't hit their goal. And my whole point is that as a musician, like most of your songs are not going to hit. Even when you're big musicians, you have hundreds, if not thousands of songs that didn't go anywhere. And if you stop because one of those didn't go, 
you never get any, you never think of that with anything in life. You, you have to have failures to get better, you know, and those failures aren't actually, you know, failures. They're actually like steps in the wrong for you to get where you're going. <laughs> One of my favorite sayings these days, Phantom, is everything feels like a failure in the middle, especially if you're looking to make money or have a lot of fame or something like that. Uh, just because you're not finished with it, just because you haven't gotten to what you think is your goal, doesn't mean you're a failure. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And look at Babe Ruth. You know, I, that's such a great example. You know, that guy just kept swinging the bat and he, he swung and struck out a lot of times, but he just kept swinging that bat. And that's how he became successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do tell people like you. A lot of times, artists aren't good judges of what is actually going to work. And I always tell people like, you, if you have a hundred songs and then you pick one out of those a hundred songs, the chances of the one that you pick the, the audience actually liking is probably not good because most mm-hmm. most artists don't pick the song even in their own catalog. So in today's world with TikTok and reels and shorts and all these different media outlets, it's actually better to throw it at the wall and see what the fans actually like than to, to try to prejudge it because you have a lot of opportunities to put a lot of material out. The record companies maybe wouldn't let you do that. And it's probably the same thing like when you're when you're self-publishing, you're able to put your idea out probably a lot quicker than having to go to the committee and get it edited and do that. You have the opportunity opportunity to put your eye you want to. Uh, you shouldn't be afraid to do that. That's what I always tell people. And taking that again into a different arena, when you're a psychotherapist, you cannot judge the effectiveness of a psychotherapy session on the way that you, the psychotherapist, feels. You may think you had a great session and maybe your client walked away thinking it was terrible. And on the other hand, you might have thought the session was terrible or kind of bland or went nowhere and you find out that your client made a breakthrough because of it and so you cannot judge as you said you can't judge for yourself you you have to have that feedback from your fan base yeah and it's really good today with all these different forms that you can put out your demos like on soundcloud you can put out ideas like on Facebook, you can you put things, something out like you're on YouTube and then see if a one-act play, if it works. You, you can do it. You, so people can put their art into different places and see if it actually, and there's so many people who kick from social media. They came out of nowhere. They, the, the normal gates, no matter what type of artist they were, would never let them in. And they and they had the, the gumption was like a millions and you're like, it comes out of left field and they don't really hit, no one would really push them. They just actually hit that note. They hit that universal key. No matter what type of thing you do, you can hit that key and then it triggers it. But if you never pull the trigger to put that key out there, no one's ever going to find it. <laughs> right. Right. So don't be that person. <laughs> put yourself Lesson out there. Less learned. Yes. Very good. <laughs> So we we have hit our 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 time 
um, um, kind of great, but uh, I do want to mention your um, website below because for the people who don't have the visual visual of this, um, there's www.janewestler.com. So what, what will people find there if they go to that website? Uh, people will find uh, my story. Uh, they'll find resources for help if you need help in uh, any way emotionally or uh, I'm, a, I'm a coach uh, and I am a writer. So my books are all listed there. Uh, you, you can, uh, I'm, I'm a life coach at this point uh, and I help particularly women who are struggling with um, bone issues. It's just become a, a, a mm -hmm. sub uh, a, a significant group for me. Um, and so there are resources there for help and assistance and uh, people can make uh, an appointment with me for one-to-one -one coaching. And you'll also find a connection with my Facebook group, my Jane Wessler author Facebook group and, and other groups that I run to help people. That's awesome. Cause you, you did write something about your, um, be able to do get um, over osteoporosis without medication. Yes, I have three books uh, about how to strengthen your your bones, uh, make them strong, and increase your bone density. Uh, it's a, a pet subject of mine because people don't have to take medication, but unfortunately, that's what they're often told. And medication has a lot of risks and not a whole lot you of of effect. Yeah. Thank you. Benefits. Well, you see that on the TV ads all the time. <laughs> so I, I think what you had a reversing osteoporosis and osteoporosis without medication, evidence-based interventions, just to mention those. Um, yeah. yeah. That one. I think that's a really cool thing. Um, there it is. Yeah, that's awesome. And this yeah, is the well, first it's book. always good to show the people. So that, that one was a that's the first book like that. Oh, no bones. Yeah. Okay. That one. No, I didn't no have bones about it. Increase your bone density without medication. That's the story of how I did it. And then because I'm an attorney and, and this is a, it's not a one and done, you have to keep working at it. I wrote about evidence-based interventions, what actually works, because as an attorney, I want the evidence. Uh, awesome. And then I was grappling with at one point, you know, am I really eating right? And so I wrote Feed Your Bones a nutritional workbook for bone. increased bone density and bone strength. So, uh, and those are on Amazon and, uh, like, but they can be found on my bookshelf on my, on my, uh, on my website. That's cool. So if you go to our website, you can check out all those books and it's a very holistic uh, vision. It seems like you probably should get all of them. If you want to get one of them, you should look at the whole picture because you're looking at the whole plastic and everything. Things like that getting done. A lot of things is like it's holistic. You have to look at the whole, your spirit, your body, your mind. It's like it's, it's yes. not, like you not, not just one. <laughs> you know, it's it, you're right. It's like we were talking but about. Thank you again for being on the program. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me, Phantom. I really enjoyed all the synergy that we had, and I hope the audience will take that and use that and find their own sweet spots. <laughs> very, very formal talking about, and I think I like to try to bring together disparate concepts that I still think connected.
And so, you know, that's what I try to do. <laughs> but thank you for being on the program tonight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.